Welcome to Crime Curious. I'm Chanel. And I'm Megan. And right. welcome to part two. You ready to shake? I am ready to shake the Greek. Well, how can you shake? I got to put my dicks back. I'm sorry. Why do you? I had. Why, why I are was your charging out? them. This is the part one episode. I was okay. fondling them and I took them out to charge in the sun. And, and we are so superstitious <laughs> that now that she has recharged phalluses, yes. now we're going to shake in our Greeky. I have the go. bones. And I've got the crystal penises in the kangaroo sack. All right. If this, if you're new here, Jesus, sorry. And we keep our, our phallus calendar here that we were provided by a lovely um, uh-huh. Patreon and listener as well. So we have all, we're surrounded by all of our juju. We are. We have very... Very hard juju. It's gree, wonderful gree. I might for gree, us. Gree, but the, it's good juju. The gree is. gree is giving us good juju. Thank you. Say that three times fast. I cannot. I don't know. <laughs> My tongue swelled up that time. Uh, I'm thoroughly enjoying you telling me stories, my friend. Good. I'm um, glad. You're doing a wonderful job. Well, if that's you guys- why you only get a few of these from me because, <sighs> and Charnel brings you most of them because I'm here for your entertainment and for your questions. <laughs> And when I actually dive into a case, the lawyer brain in me, it's always deep. Well, it yeah, is always right. a deep dive. Right, right. I'm yeah, it's it's bad for me to do these. We have, but we I have love good, it. It's a good balance though of doing some short cases, doing good. deep dives. I Well, and like I said, I if like anybody like totally hates the anatomy of a trial that I'm giving them in these cases, they can let me know. Yeah. Well, um, and I'm I'm loving it. And that's all that really matters. You're entertaining me. Good, no. good. No, seriously though, I think people are really going to like this and and I think you've done a fabulous job well, and I can't wait to hear the rest most of the credit from the first one went to um abc news in 2020 this i'm i'm actually going to shout this out because i think it's incredibly important going through and reviewing transcripts which can get tedious as well then looking at overviews so complete coverage of the thomas clayton murder trial is given i'm going to give her all the credit to times warner cable news reporter tina yazdani this woman did a blog Wow. And this blog covered minute to minute of this trial. Tina. Tina. Wow. All the credit to her. Great if anybody job. wants to, you know, fact check this part or this trial, all you have to do is look up Tina's article. And this is almost 100% where I got this information from, only because I went back through and fact checked her as yeah. I would and looked up some trial testimony and then looked up, um, I actually read the. Uh, appeal which i'll uh-huh. get to in a minute and have for you as well oh. so credit to tina Great i don't job, know tina. if she's still out there and reporting but sure she probably is because this is 2017 also if you haven't listened to part one you need to because you're not oh, going to understand yeah anything. otherwise we are jumping in on a murder for hire trial and you just missed one whole t- trial trial yep exactly okay so where are we picking up my friend january 9th 2017 Jeez, oh, Pete's. Yep. So we okay. are about uh, a year and three months uh-huh. from when um, Kelly Clayton team. was tragically murdered in her own home with her children present. Uh-huh. Mm. So her husband, Thomas Clayton's trial begins on this date. Jury selection, I should state, begins. Well, throughout Beard's trial, this is Michael Beard, who we covered in the first part. Jurors heard evidence that linked Thomas Clayton to the crime. So we've heard a lot already of yeah. what's going to come up in this trial. So phone records show an alleged call made between the two men on the night of the murder. Thomas has always maintained his innocence through his counsel. In prior court appearances, the defense argued officers targeted Thomas from the very beginning. 
The defense also says there's no actual evidence indicating Clayton ever hired Beard to kill his wife. You guys, and here's the part I'm going to tell you. Mm -hmm. These are hard. Mm -hmm. This is hard. Cash. Because you have Mm -hmm. those things. You have these promises. Is a jury going to find beyond a reasonable doubt that all of those things tied together are enough to show that there was an agreement made? I get that. Okay. I get that. Mm Mm-hmm. Thomas Clayton, tangible proof. Thomas Clayton at this point in time is not guilty. He is a man on trial who believes verbally in his opinion. Yes. (laughs) That his wife was murdered by Michael Beard, who was a former disgruntled employee of his. Right. That's what he is is indicating. Being set up essentially by Michael Beard. So jury selection went all the way from January 9th to January 11th. It's actually not an incredible amount of time on these cases. It's weird for us here in Michigan, at least in this county, because when we start a trial, jury selection usually happens the first day. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's tedious, by the way. (laughs) And, you know, these trials that go on for days and days that you're hearing about and that I'm telling you about now, they don't do that here because we don't do any other business during the day and we don't do multiple cases at once. If there's a large homicide jury trial, you're going to get scheduled for three days, yeah, maybe four. If it's a really big one with hundreds of witnesses like this, you might've got the week. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that's how it it would work, but we just wouldn't do any other business in the meantime to get it done. Mm -hmm. It was incredibly hard to seat a jury. Oh, I bet. Okay. Finding somebody in this small town that hadn't heard of the case. Right. They went through one group of 100 jurors with zero people being selected from that jury pool. And then they brought in another 100. Finally, they seated 10 men and two women and had a pool of three alternates. I mentioned it in the first trial too, y'all. We always see alternates in trials, especially trials this big, because if something happens to one of the jurors, you don't want to miss trial. You don't want to try it all over. And they are listening the whole time. Yes. They are present. Exactly. They're acting as jurors. They just don't actually get to vote unless they- In New York, it would appear that they know they're alternates. Here, and when we run a trial, if you pick an alternate, no one knows who the alternate is until the last day of the trial before they deliberate. We we go through a little, you know, pick out the lucky bingo number, juror number 13, you're excused. Can you imagine? You've sat through weeks and weeks as a juror. I didn't realize that. That's how we do it here. It wasn't like that everywhere. You don't know you're the alternate. In, oh. in our case, in our cases, and I kind of like it because you yeah. you have to pay attention. You can't yes. sit there and think, "Well, I'm no, an alternate." That's how I I'm thought not it was everywhere. No. Okay, yeah. wow. So on January 12th at 3:19 p.m. Don't worry, I'm not going to give you every minute, <laughs> but I I want for dramatic pause. Uh, right. Just know that it is that detailed. It is so yeah. detailed that I have every every almost minute listed on here. Um, the prosecution gives its opening statements. D.A. Whedon Westmore still he speaks for 90 minutes going through his evidence um opening statements i think i've told you before in other cases but i'm gonna tell you again these have a theoretical purpose yeah they are to sum up and explain to the jury what it is they intend to, that they're going to hear mm-hmm. and what they're going to prove what they're going to show right they are not evidence right any statements made by attorneys in the case period opening closing or even objections are not and are never evidence no i relate this to when you Pick up a new book and you read the synopsis on the back of the book. Yeah. That's like what opening statements are. It is. You didn't get any evidence. Nope. Got the overview. Yeah. Then jurors heard from the defense attorney uh, in their opening statements, and I'm not going through these at length because... Otherwise, I'd be giving you all the good evidence that's going to come out. And I'm gonna, you'd have to have suspense here. Right. He simply said the prosecutor's facts are bogus. 
All right. Yeah. Okay. The first witness to testify um, in Thomas Clayton's murder trial, I'm sorry, in Kelly's murder trial, was Thomas and Kelly's neighbor. So again, this is the guy that goes to the house the night of the murder. Okay. He testified. When, when he took his kids over yes. to and then the neighbor's house. Back. Yep. And the neighbor he testified back. that before entering the house that night, his Thomas Clayton had told him, I warn you, it's gruesome. The neighbor says Thomas was agitated, highly emotional, and was rocking back and forth and like, and couldn't even take a drink of water. The neighbor said he just wanted to just get out of the house. And when officers arrived, they instructed him to wait outside. After the neighbor was done testifying, the second witness was called. She was the paramedic who determined that Kelly Clayton was dead. She said there was significant trauma to her face. And then um, about the other injuries, the things that she saw. This is the state, by the way, that remember you saw Kelly's sister and her family mm-hmm. uh, saw and and Kelly's brother-in-law who was Kim's husband Mm -hmm. he actually was the third witness called and he testified that he and Kelly's sister arrived at the house the night they were killed she was killed my god he told jurors that Kelly's sister Kim was hysterical and screaming for her sister and that this scene was like straight out of a movie Mm -hmm. horrible Mm -hmm. he continued can can I yeah just point something out that I was thinking about in part one yeah I know we're not supposed to do this but I think that a lot of us would. You mentioned that she was found naked from the waist down. Yes. And her husband never covers her up. Right. I just, I, I'm, I'm just thinking that is one piece that we consistently hear that I as a human, if I, if I stumbled upon someone I love dearly. You, you cover know, their genitals. You cover the, their the genitals. The private parts, mm-hmm. right? Yes. There's going to be testimony about that. Oh, okay. All right. No, don't really. I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah. Um, I will note, nowhere in here does it state anything about a sexual assault. Okay. Because people often hear nude and they think sexual assault. Right, right. I figured you would have got there in part one. And there may have been, in in my siphoning of medical records, there may have been evidence, of course, of some type of intercourse, but she was probably having consensual sex with her husband. There was no sign of a sexual assault. Okay. Um, and I don't believe that there were any actual, there was no, nothing very recent, like no semen or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So Kelly's um, brother-in-law, he continued um, to testify that Thomas enjoyed gambling. He kept large amounts of cash in the home and that Thomas would often help him work on homes free of charge. He said Thomas was generous with his resources. So really? he didn't say tons of bad things, yeah. you know, just what they rolled up on. Mm-hmm. Holly Beard is Michael Beard's wife. Who was convicted in the first one. Yes. She testified that day. She testified that she and Michael needed money and they were concerned about paying rent. And Holly also testified that she and Michael lived in an apartment owned by Thomas and he was their landlord. On cross-examination by the defense, Holly said that she knows Mark Blanford, the third person arrested. She also testified that Michael sometimes drove the company trucks. And then that was it. The last person who testified was Holly Beard's sister. She testified to running a truck to help the couple move after Kelly Clayton's death. So I don't know what the point of that was. But I was going to say, why, yeah, why Sometimes was that? We, have, we have pointless witnesses. Okay. And, well, well, and it's not that they're pointless. They have something small to add. Um, sometimes it's as simple as Holly Beard said something and they needed to back up just something she said. It. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Good job. They just want to corroborate it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 
January 17th. Um, so this is the next week. So we were ending on a Friday. We're now to, to the start of a new week. Um, the jury heard from the New York State police officer who had to secure the Clayton's residence the night of the murder. After that, um, Michael Blanford took the stand. And, and we can get into detail about what the New York State police officer saw, but I have told you multiple times, and I don't want to be super repetitive. Well, Michael Blanton ends up taking the stand. He is the one who was with um, Michael Beard the night of the murder, rides along with him. Blanford says, I was involved in something I didn't want to be involved in. Blanford said on the night of the murder, he and Beard picked up beers before heading toward the Corning area. He said Beard pulled over, got out of the truck, and went elsewhere. When he came back, he said Beard was sweating and out of breath and had something that looked like a stick in his hand. As they drove away, Beard held this stick thing out the window and eventually tossed it. Blanford said he also tossed a bag out the window, he being Beard. It contained beer cans, gloves, and a black t-shirt. Blanford said he had never met or communicated with Thomas Clayton, and during his testimony, um, Clayton started, like, bawling. So Blanford's testifying. He doesn't know Thomas, and Thomas is crying the whole time he's testifying about okay. all this. Why Why might Mark Blanford have been testifying at this point? Any thoughts? Well, I would think that they're going to have to, I mean, aren't they trying to connect him, like connect them well, all? Well, I guess I meant a little bit. You're getting all detailed on me. I meant more simply than that. He was charged with a crime, right? And they're, he's a co-conspirator. Oh, gosh. Now they can use that against him during his trial, right? They could if he hadn't accepted a plea. Oh, he accepted an plea. So just plea. so you guys okay. know, at this point, he's accepted a plea to the manslaughter. He is um, probably, in his plea offer, agreed mm -hmm. to, to testify, testify honestly against, mm -hmm. against Mr. Clayton. It's interesting to me that he said a stick thing. It was almost like he's trying to separate himself and his knowledge well, so far. I can like, tell you that having seen, I saw a photograph of the mall hammer um, or the mall uh, base, right? And it's fiberglass. It's not, and it's kind of cut off. It's very bloody even when you you find it. It does look, look like this weird stick. Oh, really? It does look okay. like this weird, like you wouldn't know that it went on some type of an implement. Oh, okay. Oh. So I'll see if we can find pictures of that as sure. well. I just thought that he was like that. He was trying to do more degrees of separation of yes. like, I really didn't know what was right. What I was looking at. So cross-examination of Blanford then uh, by the defense, he's asked about his history of burglary convictions and home invasions. The defense is trying to establish a motive for why Blanford may have been with Beard on the night of the murder. Mm -hmm. And on redirect then, when the prosecutor gets a chance to ask their questions, we always get to go last in those cases, uh, Blanford was asked about his role on the night of the murder. He says, I was the lookout. He said he had been drinking and smoking weed that night he had had 10 to 12 tall boys. Jesus. Right? Y'all, those, those, those are 40s. Whoa. That's a tall boy. Um, he drank an entire case of beer. 10 to 12 top. tall boys. Shit. He said he was nervous about what they were doing that night, and that was all he could say. And then the defense objected. Also on redirect, Blanford again asked about burglary charges. He said that he once stole beer from a gas station in a bong from someone's house. <laughs> But he had never entered the Clayton home. Oh, Lord. Blanford said he was relieved to be out of the truck and away from Michael Beard after the murder. 
Um, Kevin Morris. And there's not any evidence that he was in the house at all. None. Right. Okay. There's none. He was, I honestly believe this guy, he was the lookout. Mm-hmm. He was, he was paid probably a small amount by beard that night who right. didn't have much to give anyway. Um, and he may have been drunk and high. And a bunch of tall boys. Okay. Yeah. And a yeah. bunch of tall boys. I've got some weed tall boys and here's a thousand bucks. I mean, some people might think that's the start to a hell of a night, but yeah. it wasn't a hell of a night this night. I'm thinking not. And he got himself into some shit. Yeah. Um, and that's what he said at the beginning. Remember? I got myself into a situation I didn't want to get into. Yeah. So there's a Kevin Morris then that testifies. He had worked with Thomas Clayton at Surf Pro. He said he and Clayton had often gambled together. He knew Clayton kept cash in the house and had a safe in the basement. He testified that Clayton often bragged about his money, saying Clayton would sometimes bring as much as $10,000 to tournaments. Mm-hmm. Poker games. Sitting himself at yep. the high roller table. You got it. Morris said um, the poker game that Clayton attended on the night of Kelly's death was held every week. We all knew. Everyone knew it met on Monday nights. And then he went on to describe what he thought the relationship between Kelly and Thomas was. He described both Thomas and Kelly as, quote unquote, very stubborn people in regards to their relationship. Mm -hmm. He described Thomas as flirty, testifying he would often flirt with other women when Kelly wasn't around. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, jurors also heard from Larry Johnson. He worked with them as well. And he described a drive that he had taken with Michael Beard a week before Kelly Clayton's death. Beard asked Johnson to pull on a side road. And there was a white truck on the road that had apparently been left there for Beard. Really? I wonder who left it. Yeah, no kidding. They got in the truck. They drive to the Clayton home. Johnson said Beard then gets out, gets on a bike that was in the bed of the truck and rode away for half an hour. And then when he returned, they drove to where they had, uh, they drove to where the pickup truck was. So on cross-examination, he says he only told police about this drive a couple weeks ago and then he had to get it off his chest because I think he's nervous that he's involved. He knows what happens when he drove him there to that truck to meet up and and he ends up on a bicycle, he being beard. Right. Right. Okay. January 19th is continuing. Um, This uh, Luke Tatro, who I'd mentioned to you before, who was one of the business partners, So he gets called to testify and it was his maroon truck is the one that Michael Beard allegedly drove to the Clayton's home the night of the murder. He testifies that he and Clayton switched trucks that day. The day, I'm sorry, the day before Kelly's death. He says Clayton suggested, Thomas Clayton suggested they switch trucks so that he could take a four wheeler he loaned to Tatro home. Then on the day of Kelly's death, Tatro was asked to search Clayton's truck, um, and this is where, for a passport, where he finds it on the back seat. Finds some, oh. find some other stuff, too. Okay. Petro also identified the murder weapon as a mall handle that he and a friend had accidentally broken while splitting wood. Okay. This is why it looks like a stick. Yeah. He, he knows this weapon. Yeah. He also stated that he never would have allowed Michael Beard to drive his truck. Okay. So he's making this arrangement with Thomas Clayton. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very important yep. information. Greg Miller takes the stand. Greg is the one who we heard from in the last trial as well, um, who is the neighbor that they uh, play poker at. And he says he's been hosting games on Monday nights for several years. Clayton's been there for at least the last, uh, Thomas Clayton's been there at least the last four years. Monday games were just known and that he'd notify players at least a week in advance if it was going to be canceled. But basically you show up every Monday night and there's poker at the Miller's. So Miller said that games were held regularly, but the defense had suggested that the game came up out of the blue. Oh. So Miller said um, Clayton had wanted to play longer. He said he'd play till five in the morning if people wanted to. 
Miller also testified that there's good cell coverage in his house. And this is because, you know, Clayton had asked to borrow the phone that night because he said his wasn't working. Right. So there was a lot of testimony about phone calls. Two different witnesses testified that Thomas had borrowed their phones to place calls the day before Kelly died. Both calls were placed to Beard and then later deleted mm. from both of those people's phones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, he doesn't want phone calls on Traced his back. phone. Mm-hmm. And I think there was quite a bit, but now he's starting to use other people's. Okay, so then on January 20th, um, jurors get to see surveillance video from the Surf Pro parking lot. This is the night of Kelly's death. The video shows the red truck that Mark Michael Beard allegedly drove to Clayton's home from Surf Pro around 6.10 p.m. that night. A green truck that Clayton, Thomas Clayton, was allegedly driving that night was seen leaving about 30 seconds later. The red truck pulls back into the Serve Pro parking lot at 12.55 a.m. minutes after Kelly was murdered. Mm -hmm. The headlights were turned off on the truck when it pulled in. Okay? Mm -hmm. People who aren't being shady don't Don't turn their headlights headlights off off. in the Mm -mm. dark when you're pulling in. Nope. Sure don't. Luke Tatro's mom testified as well she testified that she picked up her son's truck the next day after the murder and she was pissed because there was no gas in it and there was a bag of chips and dip on the passenger seat and she was not happy about the state of this car. Oh, because the people that were driving it had yep. been high. The lookout guy right? got the munchies. Yep. She also testified when she was under cross-examination by the defense that she didn't notice any damage or blood in the truck. Sure. Which we, she also was, wasn't looking for it. No. I mean, come on. No. So uh, the New York a New York State police investigator um, who had testified that he had interviewed, this is the guy that interviewed Michael Beard the afternoon after Kelly died. He obtained Michael Beard's phone, but he couldn't tell jurors what he observed on the phone because the defense objected. Okay, Uh so it hadn't had a foundation established. It wasn't going to come in through him. Mm -hmm. A woman ended up testifying. um, Her name is protected to having an extramarital affair with Thomas Clayton. Mm -hmm. Thomas had told her he wanted a divorce, but he couldn't because Kelly would, quote unquote, take everything. (laughs) And the defense suggested in their cross that this was a joke. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's so funny. That's a funny joke. Yeah. You're so good at the jokes. Yeah. A uh, Melissa a uh, Marissa Clarkson, who also is a serve pro employee, testified that day. She testified that she had learned that Michael Beard had been stealing when he worked for Serve Pro. Um and so this is because we know he was fired, right? Right. Um I was gonna ask if there if that ever came out of why he was fired. Um, according to her, and that's why it was testified to, it was because he had been stealing. Mm-hmm. Um, another, that same uh, co-worker had said that she had overheard him being Michael Clayton, Thomas Clayton, <laughs> talking at work about his struggle to get blood stains out of the carpet. And that he seemed more upset about the stains than his wife's death. So this was after. Dear God. Because he did postpone, remember? Right. Yes. Yep. Can we also just point out right now uh-huh. that he, this dude, Thomas, has been manipulating Michael since spring. Yeah. Okay. He Ooh. more than likely, Michael probably didn't even steal anything, but he needed a reason to fire him so that he could set up his framing of Michael, like his alibi of yeah. the whole reason this guy broken and murdered my wife 
I had nothing to do with it because he does, he's a disgruntled employee. All possible. Absolutely. I think he had this very, this, not to give him any credit or anything, but I think that he had this thought out. Yeah. In this regard. I believe, um, if you believe anything about Michael Beard, it's that I think he was easily manipulated and, and led into this plan. But the fact of the matter is he completed it. He did. He saw He's the type of dude that would do it and he did it. So, yep. yep. So one of the ladies uh, testifying, or I'm sorry, who would happen to be a friend of Kelly's who testified that day said that, um, Thomas Clayton had actually once complained about him and Kelly's sexual relationship. So... (laughs) Right. But under okay. cross, but under cross, um, said that he had also spoiled her and that they were quote unquote proud of each other mm. on, uh, January 23rd. Uh, this is a, a tough day for the family. They ended up a lot of them leaving in tears. Um, the investigators on the stand, they're talking about blood spatter, but Aww. this is the day that, uh, more than 100 photos of the crime scene oh. were shown to the jurors, including close up shots of Kelly's body. Yeah. Aww. Um, yep. And then there was also a canine handler who testified that his dog is the one that found the murder weapon four days after Kelly was killed. Okay. So I think, um, if we recall correctly, Beard took them to where the murder weapon was like location wise, but mm-hmm. he had tossed it. Right. So it was he a didn't really actually no, know. It was a trusty, pinpoint. it was mm-hmm. a trusty canine. Oh. Uh, state police investigator, Kevin Sucher, or maybe it's sucker. S U C H E R Sucher. Sucker. Sucker. Okay. <laughs> Took the stand for, it would suck if his last name was sucker. It really was. There's a sucker born every day. Yes. Right? But Kevin, we like you, Kevin. Uh, he took the stand for seven hours. Oh my gosh, yep. Kevin. He analyzed blood spatter patterns around the Clayton's home. Um, and then also jurors were shown photos of the crime scene, not just of her body. And again, these were super graphic and they went through in a photographic, almost like a timeline yeah. of her death. Um, mm. And defense attorneys also spent time cross-examining Sucker. Um, and they wanted to know why investigators didn't follow any normal protocol in regards to burglaries and why Thomas Clayton wasn't guided through his home to check to see if anything was missing. I'm sure that uh, I'm sure that there was a, a hope that that could cause some issue with the jury. Um, but I think when they were investigating a murder, mm-hmm. um, they ha- uh, they happened to go through that protocol instead of a the burglary. burglary. I was going to say the same thing. I, I think the murder was probably their number one priority over the, hey, do you have any trinkets missing? Right. Exactly. But I get what they're trying to pull at of saying that, you know, you didn't even investigate it as a as a break in um, from the beginning. Especially exactly. with, the, with the daughter saying there was it was no a burglary. There was no evidence of a break-in. There no. was no evidence right. of a burglary. That's the, that's the other thing. It's not like no. anything was broken into. Yep. At this point, on January 24th, um, there's a lot of testimony at this point about searches that had occurred and some surveillance video from some businesses in Elmira. The defense is really... In their cross-examination, it's coming through that they're trying to push a theory. And it's going to come out. You're, you're going to figure out what the theory is of the defense. And it, and the theory is that police zeroed in on Thomas mm-hmm. as a suspect mm-hmm. on day one and didn't look for other didn't suspects. Look, yes, right, right, right. Even though they found the second suspect on day two. Oh. Just pointing that out. <laughs> right, uh, except, except there so was. So investigators rushed to judgment and mm-hmm. targeted him from the start. So this red pickup truck um, that investigators allege um, Thomas Clayton let Michael Beard drive on the day that Kelly uh, Clayton was um, killed, 
Uh, that was testified to as we well. Do find it interesting that he would let a former employee who was let go for stealing take one of the company's trucks? Shouldn't we? I mean, they left it up to the jury to make the determination about that relationship. As a jury member, he also rented from. He also rented from him. Mm-hmm. and was currently renting from him. Mm-hmm. Well, the state police investigator um, Michael Lestraco, who um, actually did the DNA uh, analysis, processed the truck. He did not find any blood or DNA evidence, and so he could not make a determination as to whether or not Beard had actually used it. Okay. So just so we know, there is some loose end there. Mm-hmm. And Lestraco also said the tire impressions made at the crime scene did not match that red truck. Okay. Okay. Um, continuing on that day, um, Michael Alistraco, um, testified that, but um, it rained, right? Yeah. Okay. He testified to finding a key in the truck's glove box that was later taken in evidence. He also said he dusted the inside and outside of the truck for fingerprints, but found none. The medical examiner, no, none at all. No. Like it had been swept because um, shouldn't it have some fingerprints? Uh, none of significance. Okay. Okay. He found none of significance. Thank you. Yeah. Because I didn't clarify that. He found none of significance. And then I believe outside, as we had indicated, the weather had taken care of the rest from yes. there. Yes. Yeah. Um, the medical examiner did um, continue that it was blunt force trauma to the head. This is a trigger alert. She described the damage to Kelly's face. Her eyes, nose, and mouth were distorted and her face was sunken in. Mm. She was, her face was smashed in. Um, insurance agent, uh, Paul Gingrich ended up testifying as well. This is the friend, uh, slash insurance agent that actually increased the life insurance policy mm-hmm. on that day. I believe when January, January 25th was a Wednesday, the defense called for a mistrial in the Thomas Clayton murder. So you can do okay. this. Defense attorneys do yeah, this. Right, right. Uh, so your honor, uh, I need you to excuse the jury. I, I have an objection and they, and they say there's grounds for a mistrial. Okay. It was described as heated. Um, there had been information brought up that had been kept from the jury, and now it's being suddenly brought up. So New York State Police Investigator Kenneth Ruland was on the stand. He was testifying about keys that were recovered. He and other investigators checked to see if the keys would unlock the Clayton's garage door. During cross, the defense criticized Ruland for not checking other doors in the house. In his redirect then, Prosecutor Whedon Wetmore said police checked the garage door because Michael Beard had already confessed and they knew where and what to check. That's when the defense objected. So the jury gets excused during this objection and the defense calls for a misdemeanor, uh, I'm sorry, (laughs) for a mistrial. It ended up being denied. He was, um, this is where he's talking about the confession. Uh-huh. Okay, uh-huh. so it wasn't about the keys, you guys. No, it no, was, it's that they brought in the information of the confession. Because the police officer said, well, I didn't need to check all yes. of them because Michael Beard already confessed to the killing. Objection, it's grounds for a mistri- mistrial. Right. Well, it in the prior trial, it was already found to be appropriate to bring up for the jury, and he was convicted of right. this crime. Right. So the, the defense um, fails in their motion. The judge denies that. Then, um, jur- so the jurors get to hear. Then they hear from the insurance agent, um, uh, again, um, who testifies about how Thomas would receive 100% of Kelly's $1 million policy. Mm-hmm. However, he did indicate that Thomas had made no attempts to claim insurance money after Kelly's death, but that Thomas's dad called to inquire about it what yeah okay okay 
This so is just evidence. Someone, some had, things don't get explained any more than that. Mm-hmm. You guys take it for what it's worth. That's what Thomas, sucks about being a juror member. Who was out on bond. Mm-hmm. Okay. He doesn't try to collect the wife's insurance money and they wouldn't have given it to him anyway. No. Any insurance right. adjusters like you're on trial. Yep. But his dad, Kelly's father-in-law, did call to inquire about that. January 2016th, 20th, I make up numbers now. Numbers are hard. On the 26th of January, which is day 13 of the Clayton murder trial, Mike Strobel um, took the stand. He had worked for the Jackals. And uh, Brian Lang, the owner of Serve Pro, had also took the stand, the dude where he, who he worked with. Yeah. So Mike Strobel testified that he'd known Clayton for years. And in the days leading up to Kelly's death, Clayton had asked about security cameras at the Lindenwald House in Elmira. Clayton told him he was asking because there had been an incident with one of his vehicles. Mm-hmm. So this part to me is like, so he's worried that... Um, He's caught on a security camera someplace else. Yeah. That's this Lindenwald house. Well, Brian Lang testifies about the GPS system that's on all of the surf pro vehicles. He's the yep. coworker. And um, they asked him to look at Clayton's records. GPS records show Clayton was driving green surf pro truck on the night of September 28th, early morning of September 29th when Kelly was killed. Lang also testified that he had fired Beard from Surf Pro a couple weeks prior in that September, and it was his decision to fire Beard, not Clayton's. Really? Yes. Okay. Lang testified that he's the one who told Beard he was fired, not Clayton, Mm -hmm. and that he was let go for drinking drugs and stealing. Okay. The prosecution argued that Beard had nothing against Clayton, and he was not seeking revenge. Lang also said he found the keys to the red truck that Beard allegedly drove allegedly drove to the Clayton home in a lockbox outside Surf Pro. He said it was unlocked and anyone had access. He also testified that Clayton would talk to him about the other women he was having affairs with. Mm-hmm. So he, the guy like that, has got to brag about his conquest yes, to yes, someone. Of course, yep. It's, he needs that attention and outside he validation. He also said that Clayton offered to pay $100,000 in cash to buy the building. So he and Clayton were going to purchase a new building together for ServPro. And that's that's the $100,000 cash. You know where I'm going with yes, this, right? Yes, I do. Yeah. He took the stand and he said that the bag of money that was found was for a $100,000 purchase. They were looking to buy a new building. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh-huh. After Kelly died... Lang said Clayton called him to go get the money in the truck. Uh-huh. Lang testified that he found the money, but that's also when he found the passport as well. And he turned the money over to my um, Thomas Clayton's father. Really? The same father that called to ask about that. I was insurance. just going to say, that's... Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. He also talked about um, Michael Beard um, more about him, um, specifically stating that he was like drinking on the job and stuff uh-huh. for the reason for the firing. Why he was fired. He testified... Um, that Clayton uh, would bring his kids to serve pro, and he was a very loving father. He was emotional when he was talking about it to the jury um, and said that Thomas Clayton was someone who loved his wife and that his affairs were just confusing. Okay. Right? So he knows that his buddies bragging to him about um, sleeping with other women, but still head. indicates he loves his wife. So it was just confusing as to why he was having affairs. Interesting, though, that he's also testifying. He's he's taking away his entire defense, though, when he's testifying that he's the one that fired 
Michael well, Lane's Beard. not in trouble. No, 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 I know. But he's tested like, yeah. I'm the one that fired him. So then there goes the whole disgruntled employee thing. Mm-hmm. He should have been mad at Lang. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Not, at, not right. at Clayton. Oh, yeah, absolutely. What a good point. And I think what they're trying to show with this is that Michael and Thomas, there was never any animosity. Right. There, you got it. You yeah. hit it. They're friends. Yeah. And he needed some help, and he would shoot Michael some money here and there because he was having a hard time making ends meet, probably because of the drugs. Um, I would imagine. Which came up there. Hmm. Well, continuing along the line of Lang giving his opinion of uh, Kelly and Thomas Clayton's relationship, he said, I never witnessed them fight. I never witnessed Tom get aggressive with Kelly. And Kelly was independent, strong, tough, and didn't take BS from anybody. So all okay. things that we kind of know mm-hmm. about Kelly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, um, considering we know that she was hit in the head and then ran after the fucker, like while trying while still to save her, her child, children. telling mm-hmm. her children to run. Yep. Yeah. Yep. This is a woman that fought for her life up exactly. until someone took it from and her, her children's lives. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, he said that uh, Clayton would talk about money he kept in his home, specifically in a safe in the basement. Clayton would keep a substantial amount of cash on him at all times, estimating hundreds of dollars. <laughs> <laughs> hundreds and uh, tens and tens of dollars. Tens tens of dollars. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we know at some point there was twenty two grand, right, so I know right. I know it's in, yes. in there, but that just caught me <laughs> caught me as funny. Um, an owner of a roofing company also testified, said that Clayton had asked him about a possible job for Beard a week before Kelly's death, so he's still trying to help Beard. Yes, there were several photos that were taken. Um, inside the Clayton home where they identified a garage. It was a garage showing gas cans. And there was earlier testimony claiming that those gas cans weren't usually there. Okay. Hmm. So Remember a garage house thing? that didn't usually have gas cans. And someone, we are at this point, you guys, they're pointing to Thomas Clayton in his own home. He put those gas cans in there. Right. This is inevitably, inevitably to make it easier for Beard then to light the place up. Right. If you right, wouldn't exactly you wouldn't panicked and taken off with the nail polish remover and the flame. Right. And the flame. Not usually <laughs> took the flame with him. Not usually a good source of uh, for arson. I wouldn't think. I mean, I have accidentally lit a number of things on fire. Um like when you're starting a bonfire and you're, you know, trying to get the paper to go and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden you're like, well, that's fantastic. My tennis shoelace is on yeah, fire. Right, right, right. Accelerant is accelerant. For sure. My leggings. I've, I've burned never a couple ex- pairs of leggings. Right. right. You know, it, it happens. At this point on January 30th, we're the sort of week four. Week wow. four of this trial. These jurors and they're in his, her family. Oh, her yes, family. Absolutely. So um, jurors are shown photos again of the Clayton's garage. Um, so when they brought in that photograph um, that were they were identified by him, now the jurors are actually seeing the photographs. They're seeing the gas cans that are set up in the garage. This is all testimony from an investigator, um, Daniel Armstrong. And uh, he also testified, and this is important, that when he searched the premises, there was no sign of forced entry. So it wasn't just that there wasn't anything visible. These are the guys that go through and they look at windows and doors and yeah. they look for uh, tool marks, burglar tool yes. marks. And there is there is nothing to indicate there was any forced entry at any time. The defense asked him about a nail in the wall of the garage and what may have been hanging from it, and he wasn't sure. They pointed out that there was a gas-powered leaf blower and weed eater in the garage. 
well, in the right, the defense is going to point right. this out because you need to have gas right. to, to power that. Right. And they exactly. also pointed out there's a propane furnace in the detached garage that was being repaired. So the gas cans may have been moved to the attached garage of the clean home because they are flammable. They also asked about debris and some dirt found on stairs to a basement. And Armstrong admitted that it wasn't taken in evidence, oh, that, okay. that, that dirt. Yeah. Um, I mean, again... Murder investigate homicide investigation. No signs of forced entry. So if right. there's dirt on the floors of the house, right, they came right. from somebody who was allowed in the house. Remember when he was asking about um, asking Lang about the camera footage at a certain building? Yes. Do you think that maybe he was worried about being caught with all those gas cans in a truck? Possibly. I think that maybe, or the gas cans had been there. And um, he simply transferred them to the took, attached took them, part. Yeah, okay. This is a, a rural place. And the, these guys had toys. They had four-wheelers sure. and toys and of played course. with stuff like that, right? So um, I think it was just a matter of moving I just wondered them. if he, I, th- I think But he they would have had to be filled. And yes, so you're right. That's what I, yeah. Thrown in there so that they could go be filled with gas and brought to be placed full back in there. Totally possible. The poker game then uh, was focused on quite a bit as well um, uh, at this point oh, sure. in time. Abby Tipton, this is this good friend of Kelly's. Um, she says a few months after Kelly's death and stuff, you guys, information that comes up after can still be evidence um, in terms of conversations mm-hmm. that happen or just things that you find, find weird. She got a call from Thomas. Like he just calls one of Kelly's friends and says, I love Kelly. I would never kill her. Like called to tell her that. Okay. Thanks. Yep. Cool. That proves nothing. Right. So the there was a canine handler who testified that day as well. I almost said the canine testified, which would be, <laughs> be a lot remarkable, if they did, right? Um, that he had tracked um, the dog had tracked a scent near the Clayton property, but unfortunately he lost it after five minutes. So we know that there was a truck at some point that had pulled up and a bicycle potentially know, as well yeah, that are exactly. involved. Yeah. So either of those can stop a, a, a smell, and then it rained. Um, three of the players from the poker game, uh, took the stand as well. Um, and as corroborated in previous testimony, everyone talked about how, um, um, he, Michael Clayton, Thomas Clayton borrowed a phone to call Michael Beard just hours beforehand. And then, um, on January 31st, this is when a legal investigation specialist with Google Oh, the Googs. We love the Googs. Okay. Uh, She'd gathered GPS and search records for Michael Beard. And then we also have the Verizon wireless custodian who testifies as well. And he is going to testify or did testify about the collected call and text details for Thomas and Kelly. Thomas and Kelly. Okay. Okay. So he testified that on September 26th, three days before the murder, okay, Clayton and Beard had three phone conversations. Okay. On September 28th, the night of Kelly's death, Beard called Clayton at 5.55 p.m., and that call lasted 77 seconds. The AT&T rep collected the phone records for Beard, and he testified 68 phone calls had been made between Clayton and Beard in September, in the month of September of 2015. That's a lot of chatting. It is a lot of chatting. During the murder trial as well. Phone calls, not just text messages. Those are phone calls, people. I don't talk to anybody 68 68 times in a month. phone calls. I don't either. I I couldn't pick one single person that I talked to 68. If there are 68 phone calls on my phone, it's because my school called twice a day that month. Right. To let me know school was canceled or somebody had an absence. 
I bet the only, only, I get incoming telemarketer calls maybe 68 times a month, but I haven't talked to anybody. And those don't all be from the same, right. And it would show you. That's a profound amount, you guys. It would show that you hung up immediately too. Not that you carried on a conversation. Yeah. So he said, um, Clayton told, so I'm sorry, about a month and a half after Kelly's death, the guy, he, this guy had lunch, this Brian Donovan, he's a friend of both Thomas and Kelly's and he had lunch with Thomas and he asked him about a phone call made to Michael Beard the night of Kelly's death. He said, Clayton told him he spoke with Beard many times a day and he had work for him to do, adding that his phone was dead and that's why he borrowed a phone to call Beard the night of Kelly's death. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he tells mm-hmm. his friend this, the, this my phone, phone died. My phone is dead. My phone is dead. He also asked Thomas, his friend, about the bag of money and passport found in his car. And Clayton told his friend, I always have money available uh, on me for casino trips. With my passport, just in case I need to. $100,000 for a casino trip. Yeah. Where is he going, Monte Carlo? I don't know. I can't imagine. I don't know what that amount of money looks like, Megan. I don't know. February 1st, day 17 of the trial, New York State Police Investigator Brian Kazemko reads the statement Clayton made to the police, and it was a recap of what he'd done the night before. This is the part where you were talking about how you would cover up your wife or your husband's parts Mm -hmm. if you walked in on them. Mm -hmm. He wrote, when he got home that night, he saw Kelly lying on the floor. Quote, unquote. I didn't touch her. Her face looked so horrific. Clayton said one of his children yelled, mommy is dead. And the oh. other, yeah. And the other yelled there was a robber. But your two-year-old can talk? I guess. What? He, he could. I, I know two-year-olds. No, I, I know. But is he? I know. He writes, He's certainly not the one saying it was a robber. But what the wobble. Right. Come on. He also. So he's saying mommy is dead. Well, one of them yells mommy's dead and the other yells there was a robber. I don't know about this. I, 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 frankly, I think it was all Charlie. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You can't interview, you guys, uh, uh, forensically interview a a two-year-old. No. Um, And even if I'm off on the ages, if instead of five and two, they're like seven and four, four is still Mm -hmm. such tender years that they're going to go off of, of her statements. He says in his statement, I just wanted to get my kids out of the house. I did not hurt or kill Kelly. During questioning... Kazemko, who's testifying about the statement he read, um, was asked, uh, he asked Clayton if he had any enemies or disgruntled employees, and he couldn't think of anyone. Michael Beard's name did not come up once during Clayton's initial questioning. Really? Yep. So all of a sudden, this disgruntled employee, uh, that whole thing he's trying, it never came up during his initial questioning. Okay. Well, then I take back what I was hypothesizing earlier when I said, um, I think he had started this a long time before... No. Well, I think he was starting the setup a long time before, but it didn't occur to him to say that night when they said, could this be anybody? Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you have said, oh, because he knows he hired him to do it. And so he's trying not to implicate that. Um, As I told you, there was somebody who testified about communication between Kelly and Thomas as well. Mm -hmm. Clayton showed investigators his last text message exchange with Kelly, and they were just talking about getting the kids to bed. I was going to say, he's just confirming where she's at in the house. Yeah, yeah. And um, he was very emotional in court as the investigator was reading through the statements that he made. He told, he being Clayton, um, told investigators there was money in a safe under the bed and another safe in the basement. On a cross, they asked why, they asked the investigator why they didn't consider this important enough to include in his statement. 
the police also because there had been a talk of the one safe, but not of the bottom of the in stairs. the basement. Right. They asked uh, why the interview with Clayton wasn't recorded. And he said, the police station that we went to didn't have the capacity. Right. They just didn't. I've explained uh, to you. And again, I'm not saying that that's right, you guys, but that's right. how it was. I mean, that, that was the reality. Time. Yeah. Defense, They're going to pull one out of their ass. I like this part, too. The defense asked Clayton um, why, or they asked why Clayton was handcuffed that morning. And when the investigator said he wasn't, Thomas Clayton rolled his eyes. Like, for the jury to see. Oh, so the investigator okay. saying he wasn't handcuffed. Uh-huh. And yeah, they're, I think they're trying to show that he is somehow being, um, you know, not having been appropriately Mirandized, not having right, uh, right. Had he was, his rights he was protected. In, he was honed in on, on the police and they zeroed yep. in on him and wouldn't consider anybody yep, else. This and, is it. Yep. And he probably wasn't handcuffed and he purposely set, they set all that questioning up so that he can yeah. try yep. to plant a seed of doubt in the jury. Yeah, so there's a lot of questions then that get happen that get asked regarding the truck swap and why Clayton was driving the Surpro truck that night instead of Luke's red truck. Mm-hmm. So the defense said Clayton wanted to return the red truck to Surpro so Luke Tatro would mm-hmm. have it in the morning. Two women, um, those two women who testified also that had um, they had extramarital affairs with Thomas Clayton around the time of his wife's death. Mm-hmm. One of the women alleged Clayton told her that he wished someone would come and take her away. Imagine that. Do you think that they, they're out there in the sequestrian spot and they're like, oh, you slept with Thomas too? You slept? Yeah. With? Imagine that when he's like, oh, baby, right. you're the only one for me. Well, the, the part that drew gasps from the courtroom was when a second mistress testified that their affair started before Kelly died and continued after. Okay. Yeah. I'm judging her now too. A family member also took the stand and he said... Months before Kelly died, Thomas had said at a family gathering that it would be the last time they were all together. What? Yes. She, I'm sorry, she is the, she, the family member is a she. Okay. Said Clayton told her he was sleeping with multiple other women, that he didn't love Kelly and he didn't want to be with her. Oh my God. Is this one of Kelly's relatives or one of his own? I believe it's one, one of, of his own. Yeah. Oh, Okay. So the state police investigator continued um, later that day to he testified about the evidence that they found around Elmira, including the keys to the Clayton home, clothing in the swamp and a bicycle with Michael Beard's fingerprints. Yeah. Remember that bicycle that he drove away from the back of that truck? Yeah. So Clayton's defense had um, previously argued that Beard broke into the Clayton home and killed Kelly during a uh, robbery. And then he pointed to a safe in the home's basement as evidence and claims that there was a safe stolen from under the bed and that that safe has never been recovered. Basically the police didn't do their investigation. Thomas right. Clayton was never allowed to walk through here. He would have told you that there was another safe missing right. from his bed. Right. And so now it's not recovered. Yep. How do you know that there wasn't a safe missing? Cause you didn't yep. investigate that when in reality there's probably not a safe missing. Right. Yeah, he examined the police officer did um, the investigator the safe in the basement and after opening it he found three passports empty money wrappers and photos he did not find any money in the safe oh really that money was gone out of the safe and I bet I bet it was was the hundred thousand dollars three passports of whom Kelly's and the kids probably well where was his passport right in the truck yeah so there were three passports interesting three passports in there Okay. Mm-hmm. February 2nd, uh, Jason Feifold 
<clears throat> another investigator, um, he was on cross-examination and they asked him if any trace evidence like fingerprints were taken from inside the safe in the Clayton basement. He said, there were no signs of forced entry in the safe, so we didn't take anything in for examination. Right, okay? right. They're, he, they're still trying to show that there was a robbery and right. that... And, that, uh, and they neglected Michael to investigate Beard that angle. stole this. Right, although no money was ever found on My- Michael Beard. Right. It was in the... Also, so Michael Beard stole Thomas Clayton's passport and uh, money and put it in his truck? right. Right. It, Where's do, this money? To do what with it? Yes, right. exactly. Thomas has already t- indicated at one point in time in one of his, his confession that he carries that money around for a quick casino trip, right. right? Just in case. Also, Michael confessed and never mentioned any money besides nope. the $10,000 $10, he, he was paid. For, yeah, right. He right. was never even paid. Right. Well, no, promised. he got caught too fast for the exchange to happen. Well, and he didn't it was probably taken out of down. that. It was supposed to be a taken out of that $100,000 that he had in his truck maybe if he intended to pay him at all right yeah that's a good point so as we know he and he testified no signs of forced injury why would i um he also said no one told me about an alleged lockbox under the couple's bed in the master bedroom and no one's ever found one right and also like can't look for something i don't know about for sure because the the homeowner did not tell me about it if he was trying to set up that this was a burglary gone wrong why wouldn't he have mentioned that right during his first interview now he also testified that tire impressions taken from the crime scene were never sent out for forensic analysis and i don't like that but it happens Mm -hmm. okay and allison regan um also testified she was an investigator with the new york state police computer crimes unit who extracted data from both thomas kelly and michael beard's cell phones the defense actually tried to discredit her experience and exclude her report and testimony um, she had first examined Beard's phone and is the one who initially noticed a heavy amount of deleted activity and interesting powering events. Remember, she was yep, saying it was powering, powering on up. This off. is the gal from uh, Beard's trial. Mm-hmm. She testified Michael Beard's phone was powered off at the time of the murder. Then texts between Thomas Clayton and his wife um, were focused on uh, briefly as, as well. The defense spent hours cross-examining that investigator who had extracted the information um, focusing on texts between the couple in the months leading up to the murder that suggested that it was an affectionate relationship. Okay. And, okay. and, and I think it probably on text was. Mm-hmm. Right, right, so right. So earlier, and this is because earlier the prosecution had examined Beard's text about a week before Kelly's murder. So they're trying to throw a, a wrench in it saying this is a perfectly loving, normal text message exchange between a husband and a wife. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. Because, yep. that, I mean, I don't think I text... If you're in a fight with your spouse, truly, yep. you know what I mean? Like, now, they did, the defense did show the jury photos of the text exchanges um, between Kelly and Thomas, including one that had happened, um, a text exchange while Tom was away for work a week before her murder. Um, again, assuming these are probably positive for her, for him. Like, it was a loving thing. Right. But um, also, if he's setting this up, he's not starting fights with her. Like, well, he is going to look like what, a doting husband. What they were wanting to show was that it was common for Michael Beard to delete data from his phone. Even oh, okay. prior to September. Okay. Well, yeah, if he's an, an adult, you, adulterer, you, of you course he's going it. to be deleting Well, things. Michael Beard's web history showed that he had spent a lot of time searching for jobs in September of 2015. Sure. And in one exchange, Beard, Michael Beard actually asked Clayton for advice on how to get money he was owed from him. 
So the defense asked Regan if she examined Mark Blanford's or um, some other uh, friends' cell phones, and she testified that she did not. So again, I mean, I, I, don't, I, I don't know why maybe she wouldn't have looked at Mark Blanford's, but I can tell you from what I heard evidence-wise, there wasn't any type of a phone exchange with Michael Blanford. Michael Beard went Mark. I'm gonna Mark, right. Them. I know there's a Michael lot of- Beard went to Mark Blanford personally and said, hey, I need y'all along for a job. Right, right. right. I, my my there, lookout. So yeah. Ma- Mark Blanford, there's no indication there was any planning period. So that's why. Right. But it is an attempt to discredit. Like she didn't do her job by looking at all of the phones, all of the information. So the computer crimes unit uh, witness, Deborah Jasinski, examined Thomas Clayton's cell phone. Um, it had come out that Clayton had borrowed the phone to call Beard the night that his wife was killed because he said his own was dead. But data shows activity on Clayton's phone during that time. So he uh-huh. lied. He yep, lied. There you go. Other texts involved a truck Clayton had borrowed that Beard allegedly used the night of the murder and prosecutors tried to show that Clayton planned ahead to have a vehicle for Beard to use. Right. Right. Obviously. Yep. Day 20, which is February 7th, um, Deborah Jasinski is still testifying. She's being cross-examined. So she's saying there was no user activity on Clayton's, Thomas Clayton's cell phone after 10.16 p.m. on the night of the murder until a 911 call after midnight. Okay. The defense asked if background activity indicated there was enough power to make a phone call. They said Clayton's phone was dying, and so he had to borrow the phone to call Michael Beard on right. the night of the murder. Yep. The defense asked about Apple recall issues regarding batteries draining rapidly in oh, 2015. Yeah. And oh, the dark ages. Well, I remember cell that. was manufactured around them, and yes, back in the dark ages, 2015 with cell battery issues. They argued that Clayton charged his phone on the way home. So mm-hmm. saying his phone was dead at the mm-hmm. poker game. He just charged it on the way home. Well, the drive home was only 13 minutes. So this expert, Jasinski, she estimates, okay, if Clayton's cell phone was at 1% when he left the poker game, he'd have 13% by the time he got home. Okay. Cell data showed that he continued to use his cell phone after midnight until 6 a.m. Right. With calls and texts. Right. When she examined his cell phone two days later, she estimated... It was at twenty percent battery. Okay, so it he wasn't. It wasn't to, dead. It wasn't dead. He didn't need to borrow a friend's phone to she make that. She also phone testified there were one hundred and one entries, both texts and calls, on his cell phone on September twenty sixth, and that only one was deleted. The deleted text was to Luke Tatro regarding returning four four returning four wheelers, which was the reason the two swapped trucks. Right. So weirdly, he goes back and deletes that one text. Interesting. Well, that's what had to do with the truck swapping. Yes, that's exactly. what links you. Yeah. The prosecutor also showed deleted text on other days leading up to the murder that included text to his alleged mistress and to Beard. Mm-hmm. Because those were things he's trying to hide. Mm-hmm. The 911 call center operator um, testified and the jury heard the chilling tape of the call that Clayton made to 911 the night of the murder. And then on cross-examination, the defense played other 911 center tapes from the night of the murder as well. I'm assuming there were multiple calls coming in. Um, He did testify that Clayton said, help me, help me, my wife is dead. The operator asked Clayton how he knows she's dead. He responded, you'll see when you get here. 
Okay. We, we don't, you just see my face. Yeah. We don't get judgy of how people we react don't. to 911 tapes because we have had yes. people react just awful and have actually not been guilty of anything. Right. And, right. right. He became. You'll see when you Thomas get Clint, Yeah, see when you get here. Thomas was very emotional in court when the tape was being played back. Um, they said that in terms of the other 911 tapes, um, because these are these are law enforcement tapes and stuff as well, they heard things like law enforcement saying they're comfortable, they have a good suspect, this is the domestic, those things. Right. This is why the defense is moving forward than the argument that Thomas Clayton was targeted from the very start by police. Um, a forensic scientist also took the stand and he examined yellow fragments taken from Kelly's body just so you know and this is not anything that's even in question those are fragments from the yellow mall handle that had been okay injured and, and caused her ultimate demise okay the February 8th remember how we talked about how we see it extra jurors yes An interesting thing happens here um, there was an absent juror that morning so they couldn't begin then the judge has to make a determination um, do we replace her and there are three alternates, and they're all here today. So they do end up moving an alternate juror in and uh, continue with the testimony. So okay. one person who has been sitting through all this time because they were absent, I'm assuming they were sick or something, mm -hmm. you know, uh, couldn't come. And so now they're they're done, and the alternate juror is in. Cy Ray is the name of a man who works for an analytical software company named Zetsk. Z-E-T-X. How do you Zetsk. say Zetsk? Yeah, that's that's hard. A T and an X next to get you. The, uh, I don't know. I it, I don't like it in my mouth. Me neither. It, it feels, doesn't feel good. Feels funny. <laughs> so he's the owner of this company, and he looked at about sixty thousand records in the case, including things like GPS and cell phone data. God. And jurors were able to see where Clayton and Beard were in the days leading up to the murder with all of this GPS location. Perfect. It showed Clayton and Beard were together twice in one day, about a week before the murder. Okay. Records show Beard drove. To the Clayton home that night, turned his phone off, and later texted Clayton, when you can, call me. Okay. So at this point, the prosecution's letting the jury draw its own conclusions. Yeah. Um, and these are these are some notes, that, that comment specifically that was made by the little gal who did this. Like, she's, uh, she, she's noting what she's seen from the jury. Right. February 9th, um, that's Ray, still the data guy. He's summarizing um, testimony regarding Clayton and Beard's movements on days leading up to the murder. So he talked about Clayton's cell phone on the day and night of the murder and the level of reception on his phone. And then he testifies that records show a lot of activity on Clayton's phone from 10.37 p.m. to 11.05 p.m. while he was at the poker game and on the night of the murder. Really? Yep. So, But his phone was dead. Oh. It wasn't, though. Right. And we know it wasn't right. now. Yep. So February 10th started kind of heated for Cy Ray because he's back on the stand again. Three days he's on the stand. Wow. So the defense began to oh, attempt. Sorry. I, I dropped a dick. No, I, I shot oh, out the queen of the peen. It was the queen, the right skull. Right out of the sack. I'm sorry. She, she, um, the defense attempted to, not she, the queen of the peen didn't do anything <laughs> wrong. The defense attempted to discredit all of Cy Ray's qualifications all three days they asked him about his degrees his certifications oh redback testimony given in prior court cases accused what? him of being biased because they said in one email he wrote well if you want to throw the defense a bone i mean okay okay so yeah. wait so he offered to he help was trying you? to help you right, <laughs> right right just oh my gosh you, you gotta you gotta pick at people where you can no i know remember that one uh trial that we had and they 
thought they were going to discredit me by saying that I didn't have any kids. Yeah, because you looked like you were 12. And she's (laughs) like, well, do you have children? And I was like, three. Yeah. And the girl looked at her and she, the attorney looked at her and she was like, oh, <laughs> like yeah. her face fell. That it was, was so funny. sad. But yeah, so I'm familiar. I'm yeah. familiar with how yeah. they will try to pull at everything to discredit you. They asked him if he altered any data from AT&T, Verizon or Google. And he said, I did not. <laughs> and I love that Tina puts yeah. in here. Cause you know, she's giving live to live updates. She goes, well, Ray's still under cross-examine, lots of quibbing, but no real substance in testimony so far today. <laughs> in her journaling she's yeah like, she's just this is on her blog yeah and, and she's this is what's being blogged yeah so on february 14th happy valentine's day um thomas clayton's uh, trial continues with brian logsdon from the steuben county sheriff's office he's the one that recovers the mountain bike so the silver mountain bike from beard's apartments um that he, uh, he he's found he actually testifies he rode the mountain bike himself from beard's apartment to surf pro Okay, he's testing this out. It took 10 minutes and 22 seconds. Okay. He also rode the bike from Surf Pro back to Beards, took a different route through a, a trail, and that took him 11 minutes and 40 seconds. Okay. He did the bike test in February of 2017. Of course, the defense pointed out, well, times might have been different in September. Okay. You know, yes, they might have been faster. Time runs different. From September, well, there's to weather February. and stuff like that <laughs> in upstate New York. There probably was, and my thought, it's, like, listen, it's so before February? the time change and right. during the time change. February in upstate New York has got to be similar to this. It does. It's I would imagine cold. it would have taken longer yes. than it would have in September. So, um, <laughs> there was uh, additional testimony. I'm, I'm not going to give you all of this because it's super repetitive about um, the murder weapon. Obviously, the yellow mall handle um, clothes that were collected from the swamp. These are clothes that Michael was wearing. They also looked at clothes that Th- Thomas Clayton was wearing. Of course, there was no any no blood on any of it because he right. hired somebody exactly. to do it according to the prosecutor's opinion in this case. Yes. Um, a Matt Lunger, who worked at a glass container factory, testified he got a call from Clayton about a week before the murder and asked if they were hiring. He told him he had a friend who'd just been fired from SurfPro and was looking for work. Mm-hmm. And then um, Richard F- Flood of Erie Insurance testified he received a claim from Clayton for bodily fluid cleanup at his home. He said Clayton was seeking coverage on sheets, jeans, etc., but never claimed on any stolen property like an alleged lockbox mm-hmm. safe interesting so interesting that he made a claim uh mm-hmm. but never mentioned mm-hmm. again that mm-hmm. something was missing right the defense made a point on cross uh to to say that clayton just wanted to make a property damage claim due to the trauma in his home like he wasn't gonna why did you report the safe it was just reporting you know dna things that had been destroyed by his wife's body mm-hmm. a dna analyst uh testified as well um, that Michael Beard's DNA was found on a the bloody black T-shirt recovered from the swamp. Yeah. And then uh, Dean Swan. And Dean Swan is our sheriff's deputy who was the first to respond. Um, he testified that he did first search the home to make sure a perpetrator had left. This is the officer wearing body, cam- body camera the entire time. You can't get a more honest cop than Mr. Swan. Okay. Because it is all out there on video. Right. There's nothing for this man to lie about. It's right. all right there. And um, the jury was allowed to watch the entire DVD, 50 minutes of body cam footage wow. the next day on February 15th. 
our defendant Thomas Clinton burst into tears in the courtroom while watching the video. Well, of he course, was there. he's on his yep. show, mm-hmm. and it shows in the video that Thomas is visibly upset. Um, when uh, he gets there, mm-hmm. he says, um, "I came home and my daughter said there was a robbery in the house." That was the first thing Clayton says on the video. Swan sees Kelly on the floor. He escorts Clayton out of the house and said, "You don't need to see this anymore." He takes Clayton to his car and says, "You're not in trouble," but he asks him to wait by the car. Yeah. He asked to see Clayton's hands. He didn't see smart, by the way. Yes. He didn't observe any blood on him. He was. He then told other officers he's clean. And then he asked a neighbor if he'd ever seen any problems at the Clayton's home. And the neighbor replied, no, I haven't seen any problems here. He was concerned, Deputy Swan, that the assailant might still be in the house. So he sure. clears the house and then checks for signs of forced entry. Mm-hmm. And I think the defense is trying to say here, well, you had already just you know come into the home. Well, so did Thomas. Right. But forced entry has some specific things that you look for. Again, and there's groove marks. There's and yeah. used with burglars yeah. tools. But also, I think that this body cam footage is good to show that, yes, he asked to see his hands and things like yeah. that. But he got him out. He wasn't just, he, you know, he, he wasn't accusatory then. Right. No. He was he gathering the information. Complaint. He is also trying to keep it safe. He secures the house yeah. and then he brings a paramedic in to check on Kelly. We know it's too late. He says yeah. to the her, it's extremely bloody. Paramedic sees Kelly. She goes, oh my God. Yeah. It's all on the right. video. Right. And then several times in the video, um, Swan tells officers then that he believes Clayton is a suspect and mm-hmm. that this is likely a domestic gone wrong. Listen. The investigation always has to start somewhere, people. I think where he's criticized, you have to remember that Deputy Swan just rolled up on something and he's doing his investigation. And is there some amount of bias at that point? Possibly. Right. But he he sees no signs of forced entry. Right. So he is he is he sounding biased? Yes. Is he using that lead to go all the way down that rabbit hole before he goes on to chase the next? I think possibly. Yes. Here are the things that rub people wrong and rub the defense wrong specifically. When he's telling about the investigators that show up on the scene, the situation, he uses sentences like he claims Mm -hmm. his story is. Mm hmm. Take it for what it's worth. I don't I've, know. I've heard it's a tale as old as time. This is how you is, some investigators handle this. I won't say that I'm not guilty of doing of using that language too yeah. during investigations of like, well, here's their story. And if here's your investigation their, gets disproven, if it right. can't be proved, then there's what? Just a history of you following that line yes. before you realize you're wrong and because move on to the exactly, next one. Because you have to start somewhere. So Deputy Swan asked Clayton, did you touch her or anything? He says, no, I threw the blanket over her. Okay, he did cover her? Yeah. Okay, that makes me feel better, I, honestly. I, I mean, I, I know I apologize he hired that this. I didn't recall that beforehand, but here's the thing. Well, you remember that well, it does come up. It comes up, but it never comes up what he threw the blanket over. Oh, okay. He wouldn't touch her because her face was so beat in. Right. I don't know what he threw that did throw it over her entire body. Right, just her genitals. I'm not, I, it, I'm there's not sure. No, there's no indication. Right, or... Yes, probably his entire There's body. There's photos, he, though. Just so you guys know, I don't know that because I did not have access to the crime scene photos. The jury got to see photos, yeah. and, and I would assume that they got to see that as well. During cross, the defense said to Deputy Swan, what I just said, you had already decided Clayton was a suspect in this case. And Swan says, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Based on what I'd seen at the crime scene, it didn't appear to be a robbery. Mm-hmm. Common practice to make sure a person at the scene is not a suspect. Before Whedon rested, um, they offered Clayton's birth certificate into evidence. Weird, but 
Thomas Clayton's birth certificate was offered in. Um, that is odd. I threw it in because it was offered in. I imagine that um, it was to cover the te- maybe identification and some technical issues. Oh, okay. But I yeah. found it strange that it was brought up. And maybe it was just brought up in this way because that's how um, the trial reporter reported it. Sure. Prosecutor Wetmore had called 65 witnesses to the stand and entered more than 400 pieces of evidence. Damn. And then he rested. That was the last thing he did before he arrested the case. Mm -hmm. So Thomas Clayton's defense called its first two witnesses to the stand, um, including the owner of an auto shop where Clayton was a routine customer. Um, That's Belinda Wilcox. And she testified that it wasn't unusual for Clayton to borrow a phone from the store. (laughs) Oh, God. I am not supposed to be laughing. Dear Lord. Previous testimony had alleged Clayton used the phone to contact Michael Beard on the day Kelly Clayton was killed. This is one of the other phones that was used to contact Beard. Remember, there was yep. a couple phone yep. calls. You said that. But she did say, Belinda did, that it wasn't unusual for him to borrow a phone. And she said he was a very friendly man, and he treated my employees with great respect. Good. On February 16th, uh, still defense witnesses, uh, Dale Partridge, or Patridge, a private investigator, testified he took pictures of the Clayton home in January of 2016, specifically under the Clayton's bed, where he spotted markings. Really? That was where safe was supposed to be, sure, no. So three months later, he comes back to the home and he takes pictures under the bed where there was a stolen safe that had never been reported until. Wow. And there were marks there. Until after he knew he needed some sort of starting to come up with some sort of. The prosecution pointed out that the photos were taken months after the murder. Thank you. And Patridge responded, the PI, they didn't look fresh. Right. Those marks were, were old. They were there. Tammy Black, who's an office manager, served pro testified about a personal check that Clayton had written to Beard to help him pay his DMV fines, Department of Motor Vehicles, uh, adding up to more than $800. She also testified that uh, he provided a personal check to help Beard um, pay, I'm sorry, to assist him with rent. Um, and Arthur Sable from Community Bank said that he was working on a loan in August of September of 2015. So right around the time, the month before, for Clayton and Brian Lang, this remember they're going into business. Yeah, he testified that they were looking to take out a loan for a hundred thousand dollars. But isn't it strange because wasn't it testified before that he had the money for yes, it? Yes, he had the. That's why the hundred thousand no. dollars was in that was in his truck he because he was going to pay well, for it. I think it. that's where he's saying that he testified that Clayton had a strong credit score, and he also went through his credit history, and he testified that Ling and Clayton were looking to take out a loan for that new building, and were supposed to close on the loan in mid-October. Uh-huh. Okay? Uh-huh. Rob Wilcox is a dude that owns Eminem Auto with his wife, and he and Clayton have become good friends. He testified, there's bad cell service inside the building, and it wasn't out of the ordinary for Clayton to use a landline. So another place that he would come and make calls okay the week before kelly was killed clayton scheduled an appointment to detail kelly's car wilcox said clayton may have been dropping in on the day of kelly's death to check on scheduled work or just to say hi because so so he was either checking in about that appointment about detailing or he sometimes stopped just to say hi the prosecutor pointed out on a cross that clayton was only at m&m auto for four minutes that day there were also six, so he, enough time to make a phone call. For sure. Yeah. Six witnesses ended up taking the stand for the defense, um, and the defense was trying to show that the murder was actually the result of a burglary. That PI, that Patridge, he ended up, who took the stand first, um, he 
was continuing on this line of the um, the safe and testified multiple times, as private investigators often do, about all of the issues that had come up with uh, the police investigation right, and how they could right. have noticed that. So the prosecution had 64 witnesses and the defense had six? Yeah, I'm going to get to that okay. too. We, yeah, we're, we're almost to, uh, done with the trial, and then I have a, f- a few more things to say. But um, on February 17th, uh, Thomas Clayton's mom, Phyllis took the stand and she testified. This is so weird, Charnell. She testified she had been planning a trip to visit Tom and Kelly on September 28th. Okay. So mom's testifying that she was coming to see the kids. I'm assuming that this is so, I mean, how would he have, why would he have chosen to have his wife killed if his mom was coming to town? Right. This is why. Right. Exactly. Well, Phyllis says she filled out a time off request um, in September or for for September um, 28th, October 4th. And um, she was the general manager and she didn't need approval. So she filled out a time off request, but she was the one who would have filled that. And so why did she? There's no real record. Why would why would she fill it out? Because it's not needed. Okay, this is an assumption. I know exactly why she did it. The assumption is that. After this all happened, she filled out a time yes. off slip and yes, didn't so have to have approval, have so there was proof. Um, she says she talked to Kelly about the visit, her daughter-in-law, mm-hmm. on September 24th, and on the 28th, told Clayton to expect her that night, the night of the murder. Yeah, yeah. But Phyllis said she got caught up at work and was too tired to drive to New York, so she didn't go. Well, during cross-examination, the prosecutor asked if she called or texted Tom or Kelly to let them know she wasn't coming, right. and she said no. Well, the prosecutor also points out that there was no mention of Phyllis's trip in any of Kelly and Tom's text interactions. Right, right. Kelly had also been texting a friend on September 28th about going to a furniture store the next day with Never no mention, oh, my mother-in-law is going to be, be there. here. Also, was there a room ready for her? Like, if she no. hadn't texted and said that she wasn't coming, would Kelly have went to sleep expecting her mother-in-law still locking the doors and um, all of that? Yep. Come on. Well, Phyllis Clayton's boyfriend, so this is, you know, she's obviously not married to Thomas's dad anymore. Right. Robert Bates. Robert takes the stand. Because he testified Phyllis's bags were packed on September 28th to corroborate. See, this okay, is one of those yep, things where like, what does this have to do with the murder? Yeah. It doesn't. It has to do with him corroborating what Phyllis was saying, even though the prosecutor is calling bullshit. Yes. Yep. He Bates also said that the time off request form had been hanging on Phyllis's office door for a couple of weeks. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, after six weeks of testimony from the prosecution, the defense in the Thomas Clayton trial rested wow. after just three days. Wow. Okay. A six-week trial and three days of it was defense. That's I it. am going to tell you. Oh, this is super long, but I got to go through the closings because the yeah, closings are good. This is going to be a long episode, guys. We're here. The defense attorney spent Ray Schlather spent two and a half hours presenting his closing argument closing arguments to the jury. He started by saying, "There's no real evidence that Thomas has anything to do with his wife's death. He didn't kill his wife. He didn't hire Michael Beard to kill his wife." He said there was a rush to judgment. Pointing the finger at deputy's body camera from the night of the murder with statements like he's a suspect, it was a domestic, and argued that he, Clayton being a suspect, just spread like wildfire from one officer to the other. Like they cannot make decisions on their own and they almost join in like lemurs. (laughs) 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 Right. Mine, mine, mine. mine, The seagulls. Yes. He reads to the jurors some of the statements that Deputy Swan made, um, as I indicated before. 
He says then, this is an incomplete investigation. He pointed to the safe and overturned table that were never examined, the inside of the safe, remember? Yeah. He said no effort was made to investigate the alleged missing lockbox under the couple's bed. And he said there was altered blood stains at the foot of the bed, um, uh, the area next to the alleged lockbox. And he said that must have been Beard trying to find it. There's just no, there's no other proof of that. His theory was that Beard was looking under the bed for the lockbox when Kelly ran down the hall. Like he hit her and was looking for the lockbox and then she ran down the hall and that's when he chased her and finished her off. Okay. Then he starts talking about Luke's, Luke's truck and he says, they want you to believe it was involved in this murder and there's no proof. He said there's no evidence of blood anywhere in Luke Tatro's truck and Mark Blanford said it wasn't the same truck. The defense said it was a huge mistake that Mark Blanford and Larry Johnson's phones were never examined. That's that's the problem here. If those would have been examined, apparently it would have exonerated Changed him completely. Changed everything. He said Beard and Johnson, Michael Beard and Larry Johnson, who's this other dude who apparently had information. Like but, now he's being implicated? Yeah, they were angry with Clayton and they were going to do something about it. Okay. Except it doesn't make sense to me. We have nothing to show he was angry. No. Michael, I mean, for crying out loud, Clayton had been helping Michael. He paid his DMV things. He's helped him with rent. They talked 68 times a month. Uh Uh-huh. He also, remember, he spent a lot of time discrediting that Cy Ray, who was testimony about the uh, the, uh, phone stuff. He said, digital tracking was narrowly focused and misleading. There was manipulation of latitude and longitude. Directions are hard. And that the numbers are made up, quote unquote. Uh, I'm sorry. What? There was, just, it was okay. manipulation. He was right. saying that he tried to discredit Cy, remember? And so now he's right. basically trying to say that he forged and altered. He mm. actually asked him that. Did you alter the information from Google? Yes. I altered Google Docs. Because, you know, it's not like they keep the originals and you couldn't go back and no, say, here's well, an original. That's what I'm saying. Like, you didn't discredit anything, man. You right. can't make up the latitude and longitude that couldn't be corroborated. Right. Like, what? So so he's word salad, salading. Yes. These jurors is what he's doing because yes. he's proven nothing. Right. Okay. He doesn't have to. I know he doesn't. The defense doesn't have to no, prove a damn just trying, thing. He's the just trying does. to yeah. confuse them. He is. Um, oh, we're, and that's their job. He has to poke holes in the prosecutor's case. Right. Especially if he truly believes that his client got set up and didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Especially if he truly believes, and some people do, that Michael Beard is a murderer and did this all on his own and it was all because he was angry. And you guys have the evidence, so you can decide. But right. in terms of the closing arguments, what he is continuing with is that uh, none of Tom's actions, Thomas, um, Thomas's actions leading up to the murder were out of the ordinary. Um, he's saying that if you take Kelly's death out of the equation for a moment, you'll recognize it's just Tom being Tom with his routines. Okay. Yep. So yes. If we just take that one small thing, you know, someone's murder. Here. He said yeah. there's no motive. And Clayton had no financial... That is dist- not true. There's means, motive, and opportunity yeah. here. But he's saying there was no financial distress. Distress Because he said be- Tom increased Kelly's life insurance policy because he was offered a better deal. Twice the coverage, half the cost, which is what his friend, the life insurance guy, testified. And they doubled both of them. And I don't think the money necessarily was the biggest motivator here. No. The, one of the motivators is that he just didn't want to be married. Correct. And that's this part. He then has to justify the sexual activity. Yes. And, not, so- and not only that... He, this dude loves money too. Yeah. Okay. He loves banging and he loves throwing around money. Like he's, 
you know, some he fucking loves, royalty. He I don't loves know. banging in cash. Yeah, man. like right. so it doesn't like. Oh. I think the money is the sec is actually the secondary motive here. He didn't want to be married anymore. No, he wanted to be free. He said he's also the type of guy though that wouldn't want somebody else having his wife. Probably. He knew that he had made statements. If you recall, that she would she would take everything, mm-hmm. and he mm-hmm. did he didn't want that. He's although, not going to share. Although, he need that money. This is also a man that if the plan was for him to burn, a beard to burn down the house, his children were in it, yep. you guys. Yep, exactly. His children were in the house, even if he, oh my yep. God. That's Michael, all that you that's need, all you need to, to know about yep. who he is. Yep. He said there's no motive, no financial distress about the sexual activities. There were no relationships, no other women that he loved. This was purely physical, the affairs. This was a guy who had, I don't know, too much testosterone. Oh, my God. That's what they literally said. He, this is a guy The defense guy attorney argued, this is a guy who had, I don't know, too much testosterone. I'm, I'm sorry, gentlemen, that that defense lawyer literally just threw all of you under the bus yep. to say that you would all be t- so testosterone driven that you can't control yourself around other right. people that you're attracted to. I know that to. guy. He's no. testosterone It's mm-hmm. the real San Francisco tree. <laughs> um, he said, there's no way that Tom knew that this was going to happen. Um, the whole phone call was about the deer blinds that night at the poker game. Right. To he Michael borrowed Beard. it because his phone was dying and he wanted to flirt with Linda Miller that night. Oh, did he? Yeah, that's the first time that came up, though. Interesting. In closing arguments, that's the first time that came up. Yep. He said um, Tom was wanting to help Beard, but he didn't know the horrible, horrible anger Beard had in his soul. He said that Beard is truly evil and truly messed up, desperate and angry that he wasn't getting work. He knew that Clayton was playing. Beard knew that Clayton was playing poker that night, so he knew he could go to the house. He said that Clayton never saw this angry side of Beard and thought, maybe I can save him, maybe I can help him. It just, quote unquote, just doesn't make sense for Tom to have done what the prosecution said he did. There's no motive. He didn't want his wife dead. He loved his kids. He also pointed out that his mother was visiting supposed to be that night. He's not a killer or someone who would contract a killer. This is a horrible tragedy. And then he also thanked the jury and said he'd never seen such an attentive jury. <laughs> Buttering him up. Now. You're the best jury I've ever listen, seen. At this point in the case, one of the second degree charges was dropped by okay. the prosecution. This happens, you guys. As you go through a case, your case, you're determining if you have met your proofs. Right. And so, for whatever reason, they you're they dropped it. Proofs. Although I'm sitting over here in my lawyer mind, and I'm going to tell you why when we get to the appeal. But I don't understand why he was charged with it to begin with. Like it makes no sense. One person died, you could be charged with that in a conspiracy. But other than that, like mm-hmm. it blows my mind. So he was facing at the time of closing arguments one count of both first degree and then another kind of second degree. Okay. Um, Prosecutor Wetmore spent more than two hours presenting his closing arguments he started off by refuting the defense closing arguments and simply said what defense counsel just said to you is not evidence not one shred of it right just what you just said yes he went over evidence that proved that beard was the one who actually killed kelly he focused on on the fact that there had clearly never been any animosity 
toward Beard and Clayton. Right. And that Beard was never even upset with Clayton. He right. didn't fire him, you guys. His no. The boss t- t- fired him. super Other important boss because it shows that they had a mutual friendship. Another uh-huh. reason why he would be willing to go along with what Clayton's asking him to do or paying him to do. You got it. He instead, the prosecutor focused on the actions that Thomas Clayton and Michael Beard took in the 12 days leading up to the murder between uh, September 17th and the 29th. The 17th is when Beard was fired. Texts that day suggest that Beard is not upset and that everything's fine. And then Because he knew he was doing the drugs and stealing. Yeah, well, and Clayton is still trying to help him. So it wasn't Clayton that fired him. It was Lang. Correct. On September 20th, Beard was trying to figure out how to pay Clayton rent. So Clayton sets up a meeting with Beard for the next day. On September 21, the phone scan showed Clayton and Beard met up at Clayton's home and Beard texted Clayton, need a bike. Oh. Well, prosecution says for what? This guy owes Clayton rent and now all of a sudden he's giving him a bike? Mm-hmm. So then on the next day on the 22nd, Clayton goes to Beard's apartment and he argues that's the day. That's the day he dropped the bike off. Yes. Okay. Because we know he was there. He's GPS located there. Yep. Speculating. Circumstantial evidence, of course, but mm-hmm. that's when he dropped the bike off. On September 23rd, both Beard and Clayton were in the same area near Surf Pro. This is when Wentmore, prosecutor guys, believes that Clayton gave Beard his white truck. He reads back Larry Johnson's testimony that he and Beard drove to the Clayton home on September 23rd in Tom's truck. Beard leaves the truck, remember, for 30 minutes and then returns. Wentmore says this is when the murder was supposed to happen. At 1.53 a.m. on September 24th, Beard texts Clayton, when you can, call me. So Clayton calls him the next morning. On September 26th, Clayton texts Luke, Tatro, about swapping trucks on the Monday. It's the only text he deletes that day. Mm-hmm. He uses Eminem's auto phone to call Beard on 928. These are not ordinary facts. This is a quote, by the way, from the reporter. Wetmore said, he had his cell phone all day, but he calls Michael Beard from this place? Yeah. Yeah. Then they meet in person that evening. And he says, really, is this, this can't all be about getting a notice, notice of eviction. Are any of, of uh, Thomas Clayton's actions consistent with him providing Beard the means and opportunities to commit this crime? Also, Beard didn't do anything without getting paid. Quote, unquote, Clayton was his lifeline. Mm-hmm. If he was meeting for something, it was to get paid. Mm-hmm. Wetmore said the evidence showed this is when Clayton gave Beard Luke Tatro's red truck. At 10.53 p.m., Clayton again borrows a phone to call Beard. They're going to try and run away from this phone call, he says. How are you going to try and run away from this? We have no evidence that Clayton's phone is on the fritz. It's obviously working. We know it is. Right. There's no evidence that this was about offering Beard work at this time. And he says, he argues, although it's circumstantial, this is the go call. Yeah. This is the kill. This is the, I'm going to go kill a bitch. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Then he moves on to Michael's actions when he gets home and sees Kelly on the kitchen floor. You're going to like Prosecutor Wetmore. He says, quote, unquote, let's assume he's innocent and there's Kelly bleeding. What would you expect this man to do? Would he check on her? Would he kneel down? He apparently tiptoed around her. He's got no blood on him whatsoever. This is the wife, the mother of his children lying on the floor. Mm -hmm. And I'm always careful with that. I think he took a a brave stance making that impassioned plea because, again, we've seen cases where that was not the case right. and the man was not guilty. Right. He questioned why Clayton kept bringing up this robbery. His wife's been slaughtered. Yeah. Why does he keep bringing up a robbery? Right. Why is this what's bothering you, man? 
There are quote unquote, no signs of forced entry, no signs of a robbery and no signs that anything was missing. And he didn't report anything missing either. Well, he's trying to say he wasn't, remember the defense tried to poke holes that they didn't take him through to see if anything was missing. But that's why, because he never said there was something. Prosecutors like, there are so many stories about why is this money in Clayton's truck? Was it for a building or was it for the casino? Right, right. The money was taken out of the house, kept in his truck and put there because the home was supposed to be torched. Yes, yes, exactly. His passport and his money. Yep. He also brought up why why Clayton stayed in the house. Is the killer in the house? How did he know it was safe? Right, yep. The prosecutor says when Clayton was questioned about who might have done this, the name Michael Beard never came from his yep. lips. Yep. Noticeably absent from his timeline also was the truck swap with Beard. Mm-hmm. Why did he leave that out? He read the testimony of Clayton's mistresses, specifically the horrible things that Clayton would say about About Kelly to them. Mm -hmm. What was the motive? Wetmore said he wanted out Mm -hmm. quote unquote, Thomas Clayton is incapable of love. And how many times have we said divorce was an option? Right. Right. Well, it is. It was. People do kill their spouses to get out of the marriage. Right. It's horrible, but they do. In this case, it w- if this is all true, it appears that he was ready to be out of his family oh, because he yeah. wanted the place torched. Yes. If we believe that's the case. Yes. True. Yep. Unless he was going to come home and save them. Oh. The kids. I mean, I, I don't, don't know, know what kind of cape he wore that night, right. but it wasn't yeah, a red a little, Superman one. little heroism. Mm-hmm. The prosecutor is aware that this is a case Almost entirely based off of circumstantial evidence. It is all circumstantial evidence because nothing, he didn't kill her. Right, 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 right. In person. And he overwhelmingly urged the jury to use their common sense. Mm-hmm. February 22nd, the judge officially charged the jury and uh, deliberations began. I like this judge. He reminds the jurors that they are the judges of fact and they, they are to deliver a verdict free of passion or prejudice. Um, it ended the first day without a verdict. Um, they did ask a lot of questions. They asked uh, good. to be read back um, some in testimony from Tammy Black, who was the manager at Surf Pro where Clayton and Beard used to work. Mm-hmm. They also wanted to see Clayton and Beard's phone records for the month of September. Mm-hmm. I think that's all very good when yes, they're taking their job seriously and looking at the evidence. Well, I can tell you that we reached the end of their, our case finally on February 23rd. 2017. Okay. He was found guilty by a Steuben County jury. Okay. Of both first and second degree murders. Okay. All right. Now, before we go over some, some, uh, some information, I have to tell you that this was appealed. Sure. Here's what, here's what happens. I love the appeals filed October of 2018 and uh, Thomas Clayton, they describe him as appearing in a dark green prison jumpsuit, shackled at his hands and feet as his attorney, Ray Schlather, argues against the expert testimony of cell phone analyst Cy Ray. He says the jury got it wrong and they want a new trial. If there ever, this is a quote, if there ever was a case that requires the court to intervene and make it right, it's the case. What? Thomas Clayton is innocent of this murder. He is really attacking that cell phone um, underlying data. And then he also has an issue with um, newly discovered. He's saying, I'm sorry. He also told the judge the defense's argument is not newly discovered evidence. And the the defense knew of this this expert during trial, this Cy Ray. He's saying he has another expert. He 
The defense has an expert who will come in and basically come to a clear conclusion that Cy Ray was making stuff up. Uh, So there's evidence. First of all, why didn't you put that in the first trial then? You're so smart. It's like you're a justice. It's like you're an appellate court judge. Like, dude. Okay. People versus Clayton. This is a 2019 uh, New York uh, through the appellate division. Anybody can look up uh, this case. It was mm-hmm. that, and then it was and actually decided on August 22nd, uh, 2019 by the Supreme Court of the state of New York, which is their appellate division, mm-hmm. fourth judicial division. The long and the short of it is that, because I could read this to you verbatim, but you can look it up if you want. It was an appeal from judgment of the Steuben County Court. The judgment convicted the defendant upon a jury verdict of murder in the first degree and murder in the second degree. That appellate court ordered that the judgment so appealed from was modified on the law by reversing the part convicting the defendant of murder in the second degree and dismissing count two of the indictment as a modified judgment. I want to point out to you, was any did any of that that I read to you, did any of that have anything to do with what the defense attorney just said? Not at all. That's because of this entire appeal where he is complaining about what happened he never even brought that up they on their own realized (laughs) yeah this is my favorite part about the case so my gosh first so the the appeals court is the one that that points out yes that that charge shouldn't have in his arguments the defense attorney he's talking about how there was legally insufficient evidence They, and this is a quote, we reject the defendant's contention that the evidence is legally insufficient to establish that pursuant to the agreement, that's the agreement to kill, the principal, Beard, committed the killing, quote unquote, for the receipt or in expectation of the receipt of a thing of pecuniary value. The people, prosecutor, identify several things of pecuniary value that the defendant offered to the principal, including a bicycle, a promise to pay an outstanding fee, and referrals for new employment. Indeed, there is no dispute that in the days leading up to the murder, defendant gave the principal, Beard, a bicycle, which was not only a thing of pecuniary value, but also an instrumentality in the crime. Mm-hmm. Also, cell phone records establish that the principal sent defendant a text message five days before the murder asking, quote unquote, for a little bit. In our view, <laughs> that message read in context could be construed as a request for money. Mm-hmm. Like the in defense. The defense is trying to state that there wasn't enough of the circumstantial evidence to lead to the appropriate conclusion of a conviction. So what the, the appellate court does here is they state that based off of what they see, a rational jury could have inferred in light of the principal Beard's subsequent actions that defendant procured commission of the killings by making an agreement pursuant to which the principal would kill the victim in exchange for something of value. Now, there is a dissent where they agree, um, all of them agree there's sufficient evidence that the defendant is complicit in the wife's murder, mm-hmm. and all of them agree that the evidence that the principal, and they called the principal being the, the actual murderer, Beard, yes. uh, requested a payment of money from the defendant only five days be- before. But the dissent actually said that they were thinking that um, part of a string of otherwise innocent interactions between defendant and the principal in the days leading up to the murder, it could have been a possibility that the jury shouldn't have seen it that way. In our view, the jury could rationally have concluded that the principal's request for a payment of money was not innocent at all, but was in fact part of the parcel of a murder plan. 
the dissent doesn't really mean anything, you guys. It was just their opinion that either way they could have seen the jury make a logical conclusion one way or, or the mm-hmm. other. But here's the part that gets interesting, as I told you, about the whole appeal. It literally says, although not raised by the defendant, the count <laughs> charging him with intentional murder in the second degree must be dismissed. Oh, my God. As a lesser included count of murder in the first degree. Does that ever happen? Um, that all of a sudden the appeals did. court is like, yeah. by the way. Therefore, we modify the judgment accordingly. In light of that determination, we need not reach defendant's contentions concerning the weight and sufficiency of the evidence with respect to murder in the second degree conviction because yeah. they boot it. Right, right. So the defense also had argued in there that there wasn't a disclosure of some material um, they find that that lacked merit completely because the defendant failed to establish prejudice yeah. because of a late disclosure. And then they also denied um, the defense, and this is all in the appeal, a request for a fry hearing, which is an evidentiary hearing. Um, he was trying to argue that whole thing about the dude, the scientist, the the data. Yeah, like well, manipulating it. And it well, not he being- says, and this is what I think is really interesting in the appeal, they reject it because they're saying the people's expert didn't concern a, sci- a novel scientific theory, technique, or procedure. Instead, it no. gave deductions made from cell phone site data in a manner consistent with the generally accepted scientific process. So the right. two things that he, he actually... wasn't manipulating right. anything. But again, you know, it was interesting that um, that information was kind of, you know, given that way. Yeah, Just, that's that's where that's we funny. Were it's it. like, well, you didn't ask for this, but we're actually going to, you know, take they off did. the conviction yeah. of the second degree because it shouldn't have been there. But like you guys weren't smart enough to figure that out. Exactly. Interesting. So the appeal is the, the appeal is over then. Now, the attorney did say um, so the New York Appellate Court, they upheld the first degree murder conviction for Thomas um, and he was sentenced to uh, life in prison. Again, he had originally been convicted of first and second degree. Um, and no possibility of parole. Okay. I was going to ask that lesser included second degree murder charge was dropped. And if anybody goes and looks it up, you're going to be like, Hey, the dissent also said in the dissent, they thought maybe, um, they should have dismissed the first degree and just sentenced on the second. Well, that makes no sense Uh -uh. because if they found enough to convict on the first degree, then there is enough to already find the lesser included offense. That's why the second degree was dismissed. Dropped. Right. And yeah, I'm so sorry if this is all technical or boring to you guys, but I couldn't believe it to begin with. I just found it so weird. And also his trial, we're not, he's not on trial for being the one to actually murder her, right? No. He is on trial for murder for hire, which shows a pre-meditation. Meditation. And if so you're involved in that, you are involved, you are you are guilty of the actual act. Yes. That's yeah. how the first degree, and that's what they found, and that's why right. they set aside the second degree. So since his first degree murder conviction was upheld, it states he will continue to con- serve that life sentence. He's at Sing Sing Correctional oh, Facility okay. in Austin, uh, New York, without the possibility of parole. And this is where he remains, although his uh, defense attorneys have stated that he would continue to appeal. I'm and sure I, he'll exhaust that. Right. Mm-hmm. All right. So custody of Charlie and Colin was given to Kelly's sister, Kim, and she read a statement from Charlie at her dad's sentencing. Oh my gosh. Okay. Okay. She said, quote unquote, Charlie actually wrote a letter on her own that she loved her mom and she loved her dad, but that her dad was a coward because he made Michael Beard kill mommy. Oh my gosh. Kim also addressed the people of Catton. 
thanking the community and every investigator during the sentencing. So in small towns, Charnel, this Canton, New York, in three centuries of history, to put this into perspective, they had a few conflict. Notably, they had a name change when their town changed from Wormley to Catton. (laughs) They had some flash floods in 1916, 1920, and 1936. And they had a horrific fire at the town hall in 1972. And Those are the worst things had? to happen. Oh my This goodness. changed everything. Yeah. After the media storm, um, when Thomas was sentenced, the town was still covered in purple ribbons and justice for Kelly lawn signs. Aww. Kim said in an interview, I think this was with uh, 2020 that I watched, um, that her family, um, Kelly's family, tries to move forward the best they can. Mm-hmm. She said... Those kids, that's what gets me up every day. I have got to keep going. She said she's grateful to have her sister's children because they help her stay present. To Thomas, she would only say um, he killed her, but he didn't kill her light. She will make sure Kelly Clayton's memory lives on. On March of 2017, so after he was convicted, the Elmira Jackals hockey team hosted a domestic violence awareness night in memory of Kelly Clayton. That's all, amazing. All ticket proceeds were to support the children who were there to drop the first puck. Aww. And that's well, how I'm going to end it. Now you're making me cry. I know. Aww. But I love that this <sighs> hockey team that... That's, honestly, that's where it started. It did. And then here that's we, where we, here we go. Mm-hmm. And and they were cognizant. Of one of their own did something terrible, but they came together to mm-hmm. do something for that woman. Yep. That woman. spread a, is a, what, awareness yeah. and Kelly yep, and, and, and threw the whole domestic violence piece out there mm-hmm. um, yep. and, and, and created awareness because of it. So, um, and yeah, that was it. The last wow. thing I noted was that um, the kids are still doing well with their aunt and uncle. And that's where we are. Amazing coverage of that case, my friend. Well, like I said, most of it has to do with some really good trial transcripts. And I'm sorry if I read it to you too much, but... Um, Oh, I found it, was, it fascinating. It was like we were on the whole ride. The anatomy of a murder for hire, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And how difficult those court cases can be, truly, when you really look at what you have to prove well, evidentiary do you, Does anybody feel exhausted? Yeah, it it's is, a lot. It is exhausting physically and mentally to sit through those yep. and sit through those every day. For the jurors, um, oh, for, yeah. for the court? Yeah, I absolutely. Mean, Everybody yeah. in the court, the yeah. families. Yeah, the, the whoever is giving the testimony at the time. Ugh. You got it. Been there. Um, okay, so I will bra- bathe you since you've been talking for two hours. Thank you. And actually, we recorded both episodes at once, so we've been like on hour, almost hour five of recording. A lot of talking. It has, yes. I'm going to give you, um, this was from a list verse, uh, a um, um, article on February 11th, 2023. Ten hilarious excuses people gave police to cover a crime. Number 10, this is not a burglary. It's a free house. (laughs) A couple decided to try to make fast cash illegally by stealing. However, luck ran out on them and the victim caught them in the act. Charles and Pernella Bull had both ridden bicycles to a house in St. Paul, Minnesota and Uh started taking out items from the home. The items stolen included like a full toolbox, a computer desktop, laptops, all this stuff. Kids, the, um, the victim was putting her kids to bed upstairs when she heard strange sounds in the house and she caught them. (laughs) All right. 
So they're, they're arrested and they told police that they should not be charged because they did not commit burglary. A friend told them that the victim's house had been listed as a free house on Craigslist. So they felt that they could walk away with the items without consequence. Okay. Mm-hmm. An officer searched for the All victim's- you can take. <laughs> yep. Uh, an, an officer searched for the victim's house on Craigslist under the free section, but couldn't find it. Right, because it wasn't that. there. <laughs> okay. It wasn't there. Let's see. Number nine. This banned substance is a prescription. <laughs> what? <laughs> yep, yep. So some dude is charged in court by having a banned substance This happens on all him. the time. Mm-hmm. He was subsequently charged. The lawyer... Um, <laughs> What? Um, uh, let's see. Are you trying to this pronounce is, his name? No, this is the article. When Sylvester Stallone was caught illegally importing 48 vials of human growth hormone into Australia during a promotional trip in February 2007, <laughs> he said a medical doctor pres- prescribed the banned substance. He was subsequently charged in court, and his lawyer told another lie. Stallone was using the substance under a doctor's supervision for an undisclosed medical condition. Throughout Stallone's ordeal, no doctor's name was mentioned. It's important that we bring it to your no- to your notice that Stallone, who lives in the United States, could have gotten a prescription from a medical practitioner in the U.S. because the substance is banned, or could not have, excuse me, because the uh, substance uh, is banned uh, in the United States and is not legally available for retail use. Stallone was fined $2,500. I didn't realize that I was reading about the actual you Sylvester are. Stallone. You, you mm-hmm. just thought it was like, oh, look, somebody I thought it was a dude, name. and then I was like, why, shit, this why is, is that sly? What's happening? Yeah, oh, I didn't know sly. it was him. Mm-hmm. I expected more from you. Um, I thought those muscles were natural. <laughs> yes, all natural. God, why do they always have to be Damn fake? <laughs> <laughs> he was on the juice. Ooh, shoot. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Number eight, this one, I won't read the whole thing, but she told police, I kept one eye closed while driving to prevent me from seeing double. <laughs> that, is, <laughs> that is awesome. Uh, Ma'am, she was do you believe for that your driving. level of intoxication impaired you? And she was like, no, no, as long as I keep one eye closed, I can see everything. I in the am world fine. Well. I'm fine. Uh, oh, number seven, uh, a DV guy arrested in Amherst, Ohio, said uh, he was violent because of the full moon. <laughs> exactly exactly i i also okay. i feel like i want to be violent during the full moon too um oh this one probably happens a lot number six um that's not mine i was looking after all the cannabis for a friend oh. just keeping it alive um, I, a babysitter yeah for a for bud a, sitter for a cannabis um oh no number five he fell on the knife that caused his injury Damn it. Um, Such the luck. That's what you get is, for being a klutz. He is covering for mm. his girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Well, yep. Mm-hmm. He absolutely is. There she There she is. In all her glory? She was sentenced to 18 months in jail, just oh. so you know. Yeah. Um, let's see. Do you feel like you have to have done something pretty bad as a guy that when you get stabbed by your girlfriend, you tell the police, well, I, I fell. I fell. I actually fell on that. Yeah. yeah. Like, what did he do deserve the stabbing? Yeah. No, I don't know. No, he's obviously a victim, a victim. of a terribly he bad is. domestic violence yes. relationship. Or. Right. Uh, she is. Yes. And you're having some. Um, exactly. Which I've seen before. Uh, yeah. Yep. You finally have had enough. You're going to yep. get yourself out the situation. And you don't want that stuff coming up, so you're just going to say, I fell on it. Oh, I fell on mm-hmm. it. I've heard that once before with um, some interesting ER visits, but they 
didn't oh, it, they I, weren't it, they weren't a knife and they didn't up, end up in his stomach <laughs> came up in some of my child sexual conduct investigations oh, i can tell figures. you that mm-hmm. i just tripped and fell into her vagina mm. yeah i heard that defense as well if it i had in. a dollar for every time my husband tripped and fell into my vagina how big is that vagina right? that someone can trip and That's fall what I'm into saying. it like come on I fell and no. it just so happened that I actually got, wow. Nope. nope. The only time there's an actual penetration of any kind is when you fall off of your bike seat and hit that God pole. As a, no as a truer child. words have ever been spoken, my friend. <laughs> oh, that is a hymen breaker. <laughs> potentially. Potentially. Damn it. Um, okay. Number four. I might actually read this whole one because I don't know what, what it's all about. It says, oh, shit. Are you blind reading? We know yes, what happens when you blind read. This cold could, read this could turn ugly. Okay. Everyone strap in. <laughs> um, number four. I didn't want my McDonald's to get cold. Oh, God. It starts with, in a bizarre incident, South Yorkshire police officers got more than what they bargained for when they stopped a motorist for speeding recklessly. It turned out the man had been rushing home because he didn't want his McDonald's meal to get cold, and he was proud to disclose this was the case to the police. Okay. He did get a ticket. I guess I didn't I'm I didn't think All that right. that's why he would be speeding, but Well oh the nobody wants one. to eat cold fast food if you're eating it. First of all, why don't you pull just over eat it in eat. your car? I know. Right. That's what I do. Don't be a sociopath. Eat it in your car. Eat it parked in the McDonald's. Be Thank you. You're being introverted. You go through the drive thru and you literally go park in their own parking lot yes, to, eat to eat your the fast food. food. For me it's the I, shame. I do it. And me too. I do it every time I go to Culver's because I know those fucking cheese curds are not good for me, but I crave them. Also, I don't want those to be cold and rubbery. Not at, home. at all. So you, have you to either eat have to hot. speed or yes. you have to eat and there. And people see me enjoying my, I'm listening to a podcast right. and I'm eating my butter burger and cheese curds. <laughs> And I'm loving not life when I'm doing you. it. It's just your own therapy at that point. It is. Self-care. It is. Yes. Self-care. And then later in the gym, I'm like, fucking butter burgers. It was the butter burger. Cheese curds. No, those would never do me wrong. It's the no. butter burger I blame. I'm doing extra crunches. And I'm like, damn, the butter burger. You could have just had the cheese curds. You glutton. Oh, okay. Number three. This, this one I might use, although I don't have a cat. Oh, God, my, I do. My cat downloaded. Oh, no, I didn't see that word. This I would not do. I'm so sorry. I didn't see this word. Bad. Uh, fucking cold reading, Charnel. Every time. Disregard. It says, Disregard. My cat downloaded child pornography on my <gasps> computer. I skipped over the word child. I thought it was just saying my cat down- downloaded pornography that on my computer. That is a fucking lie. Oh, yeah. Well, you think? Come on. His cat did it. Your cat? Oh, shit. That is fantastic. It's a Florida man. Florida man, Keith Griffin, was caught with more than a thousand images of child pornography on his computer. And he immediately proclaimed that his innocence and gave an explanation that his cat, your cat with her non-opposable thumbs, downloaded a thousand pictures and saved them in a special folder. <laughs> you, the fucking cat is a Ma- genius. If so, and my a pervert, God. and a pervert. You've yes. got to get rid of this cat immediately. Oh my it's God. a predator. That is ridiculous. I Sorry, I really thought it just said pornography. So my bad. <laughs> Number two, or this is yeah, we're leading up to the top of the ten list. Okay. Number two is my oh, this is not my word. <laughs> the prostitute was going to show me where to get tomatoes. He wasn't picking up. This 39-year-old man was not picking up a sex worker. She was simply going to show him 
where the tomatoes were. And I bet she was right here and, and right, right here. here. <laughs> okay. Number one. Sounds saucy. Um, I don't know. We're going to have to read this one too because I don't know what this means. Okay. Number one was I was looking for Islamic State militants in the parking lot. Oh. A Mississippi woman was arrested by police officers officers for breaking into cars at her children's high school. This is how it all started. Police authorities were inundated with complaints of stolen property at the high school. This made officers launch a careful investigation in order to determine who was responsible for the crime. Lisa Roche, what Roche, excuse me, was so care, careless at the crime scene that police officers were able to witness her actually committing the crime. <laughs> When the officers informed her about what they had seen with their own eyes, yes, um, seeing that she could not possibly defend what she had done, she claimed that she had been watching the news recently, which was dominated by the m- mention of the Islamic State. She said that she was very terrified of Islamic State militants, so she took it upon herself to check the parking lot in order to find and flush out any terrorists that might be hiding there. Unfortunately, the police officers rejected her argument and she was charged with commercial burglary of an automobile and taken to the Jackson County Adult Detention Center. It should be noted, there were no terrorists found in the parking lot (laughs) or anywhere within the school premises. I love that they added that. Just so y'all know, we checked the conspiracy out. What? You racist fuck like what just makes me like i'm i'm going i'm gonna flush him out i, I was checking in the console the Thanks, center lady. console of this buick the to u.s make government sure. actually specifically requested your assistance in this mission <laughs> she True. can't tell us about it because it was an mi6 thing right. the british were involved she yeah. had to destroy she ate the capsule she exploded yep. yeah yep. if she had told you about it she'd have to kill you oh, so yeah, yeah. For it sure. was top secret well thank you for bathing me you're welcome thank you so much for your amazing two-part episode we hope you guys enjoyed this you got if hours not, of content don't worry i won't do it again i'll sit in the <laughs> <laughs> no it hurts my brain it. i love it when i get to sit and be the listener instead of the giver so oh. i sometimes i like to take it too megan i don't I always like have it. to give it good i like it oh shit all right we hope you guys keep listening even after i made that comment and um keep it curious right megan until next time yeah. i want you to keep it curious yeah and keep listening and bye-bye bye-bye Thank you.